The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. The following is not suitable for children. Yet for children living in the world's most dangerous places, this is reality. Help girls and boys in the world's most dangerous places. You brush. And floss. But did you know? New research shows that Listerine destroys five times more plaque above the gum line than floss. Contributing to a clean, healthy mouth that's five times more plaque destroyed with Listerine. <gasps> Help complete your mouth with Listerine. Rinse is not intended to replace brushing or flossing. This product may not be right for you. Always read and follow the label. Good morning, my name is Rob Danielson. Welcome to Visions and Sound. Now, for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 29 of 2023 and show number 1187, if you're keeping track that way. This week, we're looking at the music of the TV series Manifest. Now, Manifest is a supernatural television series created by Jeff Rake that premiered on September 24th, 2018 on NBC. It centers around the passengers uh, and crew of a commercial airline that suddenly disappears and reappears after being presumed dead for five and a half years. 
In October 2018, NBC ordered further episodes for the first season and subsequently renewed the series for a second season that aired in 2020, and again for a third in 2021. Now, unfortunately, in June 2021, the series was cancelled by NBC after only three seasons. The series was added to Netflix shortly thereafter before it was cancelled again and immediately, but after, immediately topping the viewing charts. Persuading Netflix to renew Manifest for a fourth and final season consisting of 20 episodes, with one premiering on November 4th, 2022 and part two premiering on June 2nd of this year. Now, I first became aware of the series when I happened to watch the last half of season one with my mom and sister. I was immediately hooked and was disappointed when the season ended at three, only to be overjoyed that it was being picked up for a a to finally end the series. Yeah. Some pretty cool stuff. Now, um, Netflix is one of those platforms that unfortunately seems to have this bad reputation of, uh, of allowing stuff to start and then get halfway through and then completely shut it down. Now, they can do what they want. However, it was nice that they were able to allow Netflix or allow Manifest to finally end in a, in, in a satisfying manner. And believe me, I have seen the final episodes and it did end in a satisfying manner. I will say that. Now the music for the series was written by composer Danny Lux. Now I first became aware of Danny's music on the film Halloween Resurrection. But when I heard the music of Manifest, I was immediately going, who is doing the music here? This is fantastic stuff. Now, I did have the great opportunity to speak to Danny a number of weeks ago about his contributions to the Manifest series, among other topics. So here's a little bit of that. Oh, here's actually, here's the entire interview as it was presented. As this week, we are looking at the music of Manifest. But here is Danny Lux. Let's start with uh, what's your musical background? My musical background, I just, you know, started started playing drums when I was 10 years old. Uh, I have an older brother who was in a band. He's six years older. And, you know, once he had band practice at my house, thought, uh, wow, this looks pretty cool. And so I, <laughs> so, um, I started playing drums at 10. By 12, I was like kind of, you know, sort of in bands with other young guys. You know, by 13, 14, started writing songs. You know, every band practice, I was the drummer, so by default, uh, usually practices were at my house and everybody left all their equipment there. So I, it was an opportunity to just, you know, mess around with everybody's instruments and just kind of kind of self-teach myself uh, everything else. And then, you know, it was getting pretty serious. Started, you know, I grew up in the L.A. area, and so by the time we were about, 14, 15, we started playing all the clubs and stuff. And then, you know, trying to head that route, you know, try to become a, uh, you know, just a, a band, a, a producer, a songwriter, and try to get a record deal. And, you know, was getting pretty close at around 17 or 18 years old. But then right out of high school, um, literally six weeks out of high school, I landed in uh, just 
guy walked into the wrong place, met my father, um, and then I ended up getting a job working for television composer Mike Post. So I started doing that about six weeks out of high school. So, um, and initially I was hired, Mike owned, um, they were still doing, this was back in 1987, so they were still doing um, live dates with about, you know, 30-ish musicians, you know, on shows like Magnum PI and, you know, Hunter and stuff like that. And so Mike owned the three keyboard setups and he owned the electronic drum setup. So I started out um, just uh, basically, you know, carting, you know, helping another guy cart all those setups, set up the session and hang out throughout the whole session and, you know, just make sure everything was working throughout and then pack it up. And then after that television season, Mike kind of hired me to be his um, gopher slash studio assistant, but I was already a pretty good producer engineer because, you know, growing up, I started with a cassette four track, eventually had an eight track, had a 16 track in high school. So we were already making pretty good sounding recordings. Um, I had never touched a computer yet but other than that you know I kind of knew everything else pretty well so anyways one thing led to another opportunities just kept happening Um, shortly after I became his assistant uh, his engineer uh, got burnt out and quit and that guy had taught me the computer and I had already helped or Mike gave me the opportunity to produce up a couple of main t- TV main titles that, that he was happy with. And anyways, the opportunity opened up. So he offered me the job at only 19 to be his engineer. And so that opened up a lot of doors really quick. And then so, so you know, just flash forward. Um, a couple years later, he gave me an opportunity to uh, start writing on one of his shows. My first show was a... Uh, a low-budget late-night cop show from Stephen Cannell called Silk Stockings. And then, so I did that for five seasons, but because that, you know, went pretty well, he, he just started having me write on a lot of the series. You know, I, I was there for nine years, and by the end, I was, you know, writing on shows like NYPD Blue and pretty much all his shows. And anyways, we parted ways in 96, and um, yeah, it, it just right right out of the gate of leaving him, I just, you know, call it luck, call it, call it what you want, but I ended up um, landing a show called Sliders, which was on Fox, um, so that was my first show outside of his camp. One thing led to another, I took a, uh, the composer from Party of Five quit, I took over that show, and then I got another show called uh, Crisis Center that year, which I got nominated for an Emmy for the main title. Yeah, right out of the gate, I got had three series, and um, and things just kind of blossomed from there. So yeah, working with the with Mike Post, especially in those early days, um, but even like kind of kind of pre computers, what were you doing for uh, a sequencing? How were you presenting the uh, um, the cues to uh, to um, to your to the to the shows and that sort of thing? So let's start well, with you. Yeah, it was a lot different back then, you know, because, you know, first of all, now, you know, you're expected to to do it really quickly. Um, You send it in. Usually, you know, shows want a preview and some shows could be very difficult to micromanage. Other shit, you know, I've had a a great run lately where um, they've been 
very easy on on the note side of it. In fact, Manifest was the first show I think I've ever had, or, or not ever had, but at least in the last 20 years, that didn't preview and didn't give me notes. Hmm. Like they just completely trusted me. So that was like amazing. But um, but back then, um, so I learned my, they were using this <laughs> tiny little Mac Plus computer uh, with, with performers. So there was, Motu's performer, there was no digital audio, but, uh, you know, built into the uh, programs back then. And so it was just, just a simple MIDI sequencer. And so I was taught that over there and learned that pretty quickly. And, you know, we had um, just a couple of synthesizers, um, various Roland and chords stuff back then. And the only sampler they had in 87 when I got there was the Akai S900, which was 12-bit with 11 seconds of sampling. But most of the drum sounds came from that. And um, it wasn't until a couple of years later when the Roland uh, S770 came out that felt like that was like the next major jump that allowed us to, to start uh, taking shows like LA Law, which were done with the live orchestra, uh, we were able to then bring it into just the little room I was and just have the sax player uh, show up to record his part and everything else was just kind of me and a guitar player. Yeah, so back then it was, they, they didn't preview music back then, you know, they, it was more of a mystery how it was, how it was done. Um, you know, they were used to just sitting down and watching the show, which is called a spotting session, uh, where the composer and the producers get together. And then the next time they would see the composer would be at these live dates with 30, 40 musicians and be like, wow, like, wow, how did this get done? And if there was any changes back then, and this was, you know, before I was actually writing, that they would just say, yeah, you know, that cue is a little too much, you know, whatever, this, A, B, C, D, or whatever. And then so, and so they would just change it on the fly and say, okay, then like, okay, then, uh, you know, French horns layout, you know, whatever. And then they would make minor adjustments and then everybody would leave pretty happy. But, you know, for me, the first show that ever previewed for me was Party of Five. And I wasn't used to it, getting notes, because um, I had a lot of other shows that nobody else was previewing. And um, I mean, ultimately, I, I ended up leaving the show because I was so busy with other shows and that one was becoming like much more difficult to do than the other ones because of that process. But really that was just a crystal ball <laughs> of saying in 10 years, they're all going to be like that. And, uh, yeah, or almost all of them. And so, yeah, so the process has evolved is like the technology has gotten better and more and more people are doing it and can do it quickly and they've gotten used to really fast turnarounds and the fact that they can you know give notes and expect changes and stuff like that but right. yeah years ago it was much better in regards to that <laughs> all right well, what is the the what are, what is one of the first things you do when beginning to write a score well typically i like to wait till the show is actually locked and finish editing but that's you don't always get the luxury of that um in fact you know a lot of times why they're cutting uh they might be 
well, they're always using what, what's called temp music. So they're always taking previous episodes music and throwing it into the scenes and trying to make it look and feel as finished as possible. So when they show it to the studio's network, it feels, you know, like it's a finished product, even though it's not finished yet. Um, but ideally, you wait till the spotting session, you watch watch the show with the producers and, you know, discuss where the music goes and, and um, and obviously there's temp music usually throughout so it's a it's a discussion point of like well do we like you know the energy of this what it's doing or if it's or or does it feel like too much or too emotional or you know it's it's a lot of people hate the temp score but it, it's a useful process because i i find um you know many times they may go through a lot of choices and and already figure out what didn't work for them. So by the time we watch it, they're already, you know, generally happy with the general mood of most of the cues. You know, maybe not, you know, they may not want those cues, but 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 they may be like, yeah, it's basically doing the right thing. Just, you know, but it feels like tent music, not like custom made score yet. So anyways, after that spotting process, then I'll just kind of sit down and and get to work. Um, and the process of me actually writing the cue, you know, I don't know if I could actually break it down step by step, but I mean, for the most part, in, in general, when I'm looking at a scene, the first thing I'm trying to feel is what's, you know, what's the pacing, what's the tempo, and then, you know, what's the mood, is it minor, is it major, is it, you know, soft, is it intense, that kind of thing, and then I, you know, kind of map out the actual tempo map of I use Steinberg's Cubase software and you know figure out you know what I want to hit do I want to hit like you know these certain cuts these you know these certain lines of dialogue that kind of thing and anyways I make out the whole the tempo map you know at that point it, it makes me think of back when Mike Post was showing me how he wrote music you know on you know, pencil and paper, he would essentially do that same exact process in the same order I just described, but just on paper. And then once he had it mapped out, he would say, the cue's half done and I haven't written a note. And so, <laughs> so, so in essence, it, it, you know, it may not be quite half done, but yeah, that's a big part of it, just kind of setting up the roadmap. And then, and then you just start writing from point A to point B to point B to point C and, and just, you know, just, just, I get inspired by the picture and just kind of react to the picture and just come up with ideas and start filling it in. Yeah. So how did you first become aware of Manifest? Manifest, um, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. It's been a while. I don't remember if my agent you know, told me, hey, you know, this guy, Jeff Rake's got a show. Um, that's probably what he, he probably brought that to my attention because, um, you know, I did a lot of uh, David Kelly shows over a number of years, starting with Allie McBeal uh, through, uh, I, I don't even remember the last one, but, but I think, I think it was Boston Legal because he had Boston Public too before then. But I think Jeff might've been, uh, a writer for a little while on Boston Legal. So anyways, my, I, I didn't know him from that though, but I believe my agent kind of put two and two and says, Hey, you know, the guy you might know, you know, he's got this new show. You should reach out to him. 
So anyways, I reached out to Jeff, said, hey, it sounds like a really interesting project. I'd love to be part of it, that kind of thing. And he, you know, he responded. And then so they circled back with me when, when David Frankel, the director, came on board for the pilot. And, and they had already, they hadn't shot it yet, but they were about to shoot it. And so we had a, we just, you know, have, had a great conversation on the phone, just kind of talked about some ideas and, you know, uh, you know, they thought, thought that all sounded good. And, and then they said, okay, great. You know, when we shoot the pilot, we'll reach out and that's what they did. And during the pilot, they just started sending me, you know, scene by scene. Um, and in fact, the first scene they sent me was the very end scene to the uh, to the pilot, where you know everybody gathers at the fence and the, the plane explodes and kind of you know just kind of launched the whole series you know mm. from that point. But yeah, that was the first cue they sent me. Um, that that I'll never forget. And um, yeah, and it just the pilot went great, and they were super easy. Uh, to work with, and I mean, Jeff's, you know, couldn't be more trusting, um, which is amazing, but um, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, and it was just, it was just a fun project for me, because, you know, I've done so, so much TV, and this musically is more like film music than, than typical TV music, so it was just like, oh man, this is going to be a lot of fun, because right. get to really stretch out compared to most projects that I work on. Right. So what kind of a timeline are you given for your, for, for an episode? Everything or manifest or. Uh, but for man, well, manifest in general, but. Uh, manifest I mean, in general. Yeah. They were generous. You know, they gave me at least like, you know, a week or two to do an episode, which is, I mean, a lot of shows give me a lot less than a week, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. So I had at least a week to do an episode but which is good because there's an incredible amount of music on a manifest episode i mean it almost never stops um although you know the show's very thematic uh there's lots of themes uh character themes there's lots of family themes there's just lots of themes that are just like oh you know something's happening we did we were able to reuse and, and music from previous episodes, you know, throughout the run. So, um, you know, or pieces of them, you know, throughout. So let's just say there might've been, you know, 30 minutes of music on an episode, you know, which I was maybe doing initially every in season one, every episode by season two or three, you know, maybe, maybe a third of it was, was actually being reused and kept by the music editors and editors, you know, okay. so it, it got less, but it was, it, it still was always a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you're, when you're spotting, uh, or, or, or are you give okay. How does this work with, with a television show? It's not like a movie, but how does it work? Are you, are you sending out your music and then you're getting notes are you dealing with a producer or are you dealing with the director of the episode or how does that, how does that all work with, uh, with, with bringing presenting your music? Well, like I said, on manifest, they were just past the pilot. They were just amazing. They didn't give notes. Um, that's not how most <laughs> anything else works. Um, so the director and TV is usually just involved in the pilot in the first yeah. episode. So 
And, you know, in the first episode, the directors usually, they give them a lot of input. Um, but past the first episode, you're just dealing with the, the mainly the executive producers. So like on a show like Grey's Anatomy or something, I do it, I turn it in, and it's either the executive producer who would look at it, or in that case, uh, Krista Vernoff, who ran that show, um, she got kind of overwhelmed and she delegated it to another producer who basically was just like, you make the calls. Um, and, you know, and sometimes the editors get some input when they, you know, to their episode. But, but I mean, ultimately, it's the producer or executive producer that uh, will review it in and it's tough if it's multiple producers it's you know music subjective thing and you know ultimately you know you really want it just one other person kind of making the decision you know a lot of times it's not that you know it might be two three four five producers all kind of reviewing and collectively giving notes but uh yeah i mean some show can some shows can be difficult in regards to that um other other shows you know not so bad but you know but when they do give notes you know a lot of times it's like oh well, that makes a lot of sense for that storyline or you know about yeah that'll actually make that better kind of thing but mm -hmm. um i mean you know i don't think anybody loves doing changes you know i mean the producers and the writers get get their own version of that from the studios and the net networks as well so but you know, it's part of the process. And yeah, I mean, I just, you know, knock on wood, I've just, you know, landed mostly on some shows that just aren't terribly abusive uh, of that process. Cause like, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some uh, situations out there where it can be incredibly abusive. And it's like, you know, it's one thing if you're missing the mark and maybe you're not the right composer for the show or, or you're just not doing a good job or something. I mean, that's that's a that's one issue. You know, a lot of times I, f I feel like I see notes either on some of my projects or some of my friend composers' projects where it's like, like I don't know, they almost feel like it's just their job to give notes. It's not really, it's not really changing the emotional content of the scene or even helping. But you know, and that's where I think it starts borderlining on abusive if it really doesn't make a difference you know to how the viewer is going to see the scene then it's right. just like taking the fun out of the gig you know right so now when when approaching your scores for for manifest do you have a a, a sound palette or a, a kind of a um a, a choice of instruments uh that for for that are specifically for manifest oh yeah very specific yeah i mean that show became yeah, very specific in its sound palette. Um, and I knew it was going to be, uh, from the get-go, it was going to be a very hybrid sounding score of like, you know, it's going to have big orchestral elements, but it's going to have big, you know, synthy pulses and pads and that kind of thing. So I knew that was going to be the direction. Um, and in fact, before I really set out on it, I, I, I knew it was going to be so specific that I needed to create like a bunch of sounds for it, which I've always been a big sound creator um, for my own palettes. But I ended up actually through Steinberg's Halion platform um, making custom instruments um, just specific for the show. Like in particular, I made an instrument 
that's just all about uh, reversing sounds, uh, where I could play melodic lines and um, very easily, and and have it do what I want. Because like typically when you want to have a a melodic line that that sounds reversed, you have to write it in reverse order. Um, so if you wanted it to be, you know, note note one two three sounding sounding reverse, you actually have to write it three two one. And so I was like, man, wouldn't it be great to have an instrument uh, where I could just play play it like a piano, and it just sounds already like it's you know been thought of and reversed, recorded, flipped around, put through effects. So, anyways, that was one of the instruments I I pre-built, which was uh, which was quite difficult, and uh, but it to build it, I should say, and have it actually function how I wanted wanted it. But anyways, um, I was able to do that, and in, in the process, ended up actually uh, making I think I don't know, about six or seven different specific synthesizer instruments for it, and then ended up actually creating a small little company called Sample Fuel and selling these instruments too. But the reversing one was the most complicated um, and specific for Manifest. When you're doing specific uh, episodes and there's an, 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 an extra element that is added, for example, I'm thinking of the pilot with the, uh, um, the, the tune that's being played on the violin by the one character. So what's, is, are you just going outside and just creating these little, uh, or first of all, are you bringing in live players? And second of all, you know, are you like, how, where, where does, where does that process come into your, to your composing? Is it, is it, is it something that, that the producer says to you, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to need this little uh, piece that needs to be ready to be heard on set so that the actor can play it or that sort yeah. of thing. How does that yeah, work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all scripted that, okay, we need to come up with a piece of music for this guy uh, to be playing on the violin, you know, and it, and it was, it was all thought out that this was going to be a recurring piece of music that we're going to hear in various ways over various episodes. So if I remember right, um, they shot the violin player, I, uh, probably on the pilot. I can't remember if he was in the pilot, if he, he was playing this particular motif piece of music that, that we actually hear later on, or if he was just playing something else. But later on, we definitely brought in a real violin player and, and did some, because uh, I'm just, it's been so long, but I'm remembering that they were in like Times Square or something. Yeah. And then they started hearing some crazy violin stuff. And that I brought in a real violin player to give them a, a bunch of options on, on how it could get just crazier and crazier and crazier. But um, yeah, but sometimes uh, some of the violin uh, that he was playing was probably a sample that I, that I just provided uh, as a guide track. I just remember that, you know, kind of dissonant four or five kind of six note thing that you heard in various stages. I think Jeff described it as we just need like our kind of dissonant close encounter kind of, you know, kind of, kind of motif here. Um, and I'm trying to remember, you know, uh, I, I remember early on they had me, because I remember Ben Stone, he hears it at, at, in his head at one point. And I remember, you know, they had me do it a million different ways on a million different 
sounds or whatever. But I think one of the coolest repeats of that melody was, I, I don't remember what season or what episode it was, but I, I think he was in a store and he, and he heard it heard it on a microwave or something go off. And then that was the microwave tones or something right. like, you know, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it all started with just the writers coming up with the idea of that. And now that I think about it, there, there was also one scene where the guy, you know, that was from the pilot that was playing on the violin, mm-hmm. he, he's became featured in an brush and floss but did you know new research shows that listerine destroys five times more plaque above the gum line than floss contributing to a clean healthy mouth that's five times more plaque destroyed with listerine (gasps) help complete your mouth with listerine rinse is not intended to replace brushing or flossing this product may not be right for you always read and follow the label episode I, I don't know what season it was where he actually, you know, s- starts playing it on the uh, piano and uh, and then they realize the note numbers spell out a, pho- a phone number. So, uh-huh. um, a- and then they had me take that motif and then like expand it into a much bigger piece of music, I remember. So that was a little bit challenging. And of course, you know, the phone number idea was like long after the original idea of just having it. So so I'm just like, (laughs) well, okay, well, here's what those, you know, intervals spell out. And so Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, so that became part of one of the scripts. All right. So there's a soundtrack for uh, Manifest coming out or if it's it's not out already. Yeah. How do you take four seasons of music and condense it down to uh, one release? Yeah, I, I mean, that was challenging because, um, yeah, you know, so the first question I asked the label Water Tower um, was, well, how long can it be? You know, because there's just a ridiculous amount of score to possibly choose from. And I, I forgot what they said, you know, 60 to 90 minutes or something. You know, I think they wanted it, you know, roughly 60 minutes ish or something. Um, and, you know, however many tracks that, you know, I'd probably put more tracks on it than they wanted. So, yeah, you know, you know, picking music is to listen to um, is 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 probably a, a slightly different process because a lot of times you, you'll write a score and maybe it's pretty simple because it's got to play under dialogue and stuff like. 
uh, and stuff like that on the screen and you just go man that works really great like you know when it's glued to the scene but you take away the dialogue and everything and sometimes the cue is like well it's not the most interesting piece of music just to listen to not married to the picture right. so so you know so it was kind of easy to go through lots and lots of cues and go next 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 you know and look for some of the ones that you know just stood better as just a piece of music but but I, it was still hard i mean i basically uh, in my head i was just like it would be a cool soundtrack if you sat down and the first piece of music you heard was the first piece of music you heard you know in the pilot and then the last piece was the last piece of music you know so so i knew i wanted to do that and then i wanted to make it sort of feel like you could just kind of sit there and listen to the whole thing and make it feel sort of chronological through through the whole series. It may not be 100% accurate of its chronological order, but it's pretty close. And mm -hmm. and then I just tried to, you know, find cues that I just felt like, uh, you know, just played, you know, so you could just kind of close your eyes and almost imagine watching the show. And then, you know, just try to have it. So, okay, we have a handful of mysterious emotional, then, okay, let's get some action stuff in and then go back to emotional, a little more action and emotional and then kind of end with a big bang, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of just the process of, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't spend a crazy amount of time going through <laughs> just the ridiculous amount you know it's just you know i th i think my process was i sorted it by like well i don't want any short cues on it so let's find you know you know so anything less than this length just you know forget those and, and then we'll start from there and then just you know and then kind of slowly weeded it down okay where, well first of all uh, where uh, you, you mentioned the the label it's uh, water tower water tower music and so where can we find it? You know, as far as I know, it's just pretty much on all the streaming platforms. I don't I don't think there's any actual physical media that they they release. I think it's 100 percent just, you know, where you'd expect it on Spotify, uh, iTunes, etc. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm positive there's no physical media that <laughs> no, I don't think many, many are producing that anymore. OK, so now. Um, manifest is over so what do you think that you would take away from the show that you would maybe use in future shows or yeah what what, what, what do you think you've taken away from manifest that you'd use in in future oh yeah i'm not sure yeah that's a that's an interesting question um i don't know i you know i try to look at each each project each new show as its own thing but you know um I mean, I'm sure there were some like, you know, cool sounds in the palette that I was like, oh man, this is really a winner. You know, if it's not overly signature to manifest, I'm sure it'll creep into my palette somewhere else. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, like I said, manifest was, uh, you know, such more of a movie-like approach. Um, and in, in fact, it's, you know, so many of the shows that I do, uh, I mean, there might be a underlining storyline that may run the series or something, but for the most part, it's like, you know, some, <clears throat> like a Grey's Anatomy, you get 
story of the week it kind of wraps up in one episode mostly mm -hmm. so but manifest you know you knew from the get-go this thing was gonna like you know potentially go from year one and jeff wanted it to go six years initially so you knew it was going to be a six-year movie basically yeah. uh so you just felt like man i got time to like really just develop things and um and really have some themes here um so it would be great to get uh you know other projects that just kind of had that kind of canvas to it right well how would a score that you write today uh, differ from one that you wrote when you began when you began your career well hopefully it's better <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but uh no um you know i i think the biggest thing that you know comes to mind from a question like that is just um you know styles change palettes change um like you know not going back to like say you know my first show silk stockings or whatever but you know i i i, I think about you know in on in 96 when i kind of went out on my own and and i was doing shows like sliders and i had a cool show on um uh, nbc i think in 97 called profiler um and then i think i think Allie mcfeel started in 97 it's like i was still using like a lot of uh real players at, at, um supplementing you know just myself doing everything else but like i was doing a lot of live woodwinds on almost everything um you know ali mcbeal had a clarinet profiler had a million different woodwinds um sliders did too Allie mcbeal also had real cello party of five had real cello i mean i brought in guitar players on many of the shows that were better guitar players than me often so it was weird for like five six seven eight years it seemed like i had you know a woodwind doubler you know come seems like he lived at my house practically he was there two three times a week recording um and then all of a sudden you know that sound went out of fashion and it's never come back for me so so things kind of trend you know, now a lot of scores are, are very hybrid, moody sounding, you know, less melody in a lot of cases. Used to write on some shows and it's like, you know, it's more moody and sparse sometimes. It's just like, I mean, it kind of depends on the show. You know, you can, you can get something that is the exact opposite of what I'm describing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, styles and trends change and, and you just kind of evolve with it. What does the future hold for you? Oh, I don't think, I'm not really thinking too long-term anymore. <laughs> it's just, I'm just, just kind of, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time and um, feel very fortunate that it's just been, it's just been kind of consistent for a long time. You know, I, I still enjoy doing it, you know, especially when you're working for great people. I mean, it's almost more about working for good people is more important than how much I like the, the actual project, you know, um, that that's more of a factor of how enjoyable the, the uh, you know, project is. So, you know, I would, you know, hope to continue to do it for, for a bit longer <laughs> before, before I hang up my hat, so to speak. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm still enjoying it, and 
just uh, just hope it continues for a while longer. Okay. Well, I really appreciate the uh, the time you've given me today. Well, I'm excited that you're excited to you know listen to the soundtrack. I yeah. I, I think it uh, I think it's a great representation of you know what was heard throughout the through the four seasons. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, like I said, thanks thanks again, Danny. It's really really appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. And it was great to uh, to speak to Danny Lux about the uh, about his his time in with uh, Manifest as well as his many other uh, other stuff. Working with Mike Post must have been fascinating, especially in those in those early early days of of television and and that sort of thing. In any case, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at of course visionsinsound at gmail dot com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visions and sound. I'm on the Twitter at visions sound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. And you can also try me on good pods, downloadable app for your phone or other type devices. You can also review episodes there as well as my friend Robbie Sims did recently with the end of the year show and uh, made some really good points. You can also go on Apple Music to find me as well as many other podcatchers. So welcome back to Visions and Sound as this week we are looking at the music of the TV series Manifest. On June 1st, 2021, as mentioned before, NBC canceled the series after only three seasons. Now, due to the cliffhanger ending of the third season and the fact that the creator Jeff Rake originally sold Manifest to NBC with a six-season plan mapped out, Rake and others were hopeful that the series would get picked up by another platform, possibly that being Netflix. Where the first two seasons of Manifest debuted in the number three spot and quickly rose to the most watched show on the streaming service at that time. Rake tweeted on June 15th, I'm devastated by NBC's decision to cancel us that we've been shut down in the middle is a gut punch, to say the least. Hoping to find a new home. You fans deserve an ending to your story. On June 2nd, 2021, Warner announced that negotiations with Netflix had broken down and that they would no longer be seeking a new home for the series. However, on June 30th, 2021, Entertainment Weekly reported that Rake was looking for a platform that would bankroll the, a two-hour manifest film to tie the loose ends from the third season finale, said Rake. There's a huge appetite for people wanting to know how the story ends, what happened to the passengers, and what ultimately happened to that plane. The following month, it was reported that talks had resumed between Warner Brothers at Television and NBC regarding the series' renewal for a potential fourth season with Netflix also taking part in the renewal discussions on August 28th, 2021. They renewed manifest for a fourth and final season consisting of 20 episodes across multiple parts. Now, as I said, um, there is a release on water tower music of Danny Lux's music. Now, if you have not heard this music, or if you're not a fan of the series, or if you're not aware of the series, I highly recommend it. It is currently on Netflix and definitely worth checking out. It has a very interesting storyline. I won't ruin it for those that have not seen it. And I will just simply say this, that the music here is fantastic. So 
Without further ado, sit back and enjoy Danny Lux's music to the television series Manifest. And I'll be back. Uh, I'll pop in periodically to make some, make some, make some mentions, pay some bills, that kind of stuff. Back in a little bit.
And with a little bit of music from the television series Manifest, that's music by Danny Lux. Well, we'll get back to more of the music in just a second. But if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. Well, coming up in the next little while, I won't mention next week's show, but the month of August is actually going to be a very interesting month as I'm getting into video game scores. Now, of course, I've done video game scores in the past, but these are some more interesting ones. Um, Star Wars, the Star Wars scores for the various video games. Um, I'm celebrating the 25th anniversary of Grim Fandango as well as the 25th anniversary of Metal Gear Solid. And then ending out the month will be a really cool called Out of This World. So some really cool um, games that are coming out or have been, have have really interesting scores to go with them. And video game scores over the last couple of years have really taken off. They're even bigger than the film industry right now at this point. So sit back and uh, yeah, just... The month of August is going to be a fantastic month for when it comes to the specific scores of video games. Boy, we're already talking September here, and September is, again, going to be interesting, but I won't get into the specifics there because it's a constantly... the sh- well, While I do have a schedule, the show is constantly in flux. So you never know when things might change or when I might change my mind and make a decision as to, oh, maybe this time I'll say, hmm, maybe I'll change this episode to this episode or switch these two episodes one week. But there is something coming up in September that you should be aware of. Um, My co-host from Gramsgate, England, Jason Drury, is actually coming to Canada again. In, in the mid part, mid part of September. So what's going to happen there is he is actually going to come on the show and he is going to host while I am, am, am kind of guiding him through the, um, uh, um, the technical side of things. He's actually going to host the show and um, it's, it's his first live hosting and he's very, very excited about doing this. And I am actually really excited about having him here. It's going to be a great a great uh, um, 10 days of him being here in Canada. And we're going to spend a lot of time listening to music, a lot of time talking movies and a lot of time visiting, uh, visiting sites. We're actually going to head down to the, um, the dead zone gazebo that was uh, um, down in that uh, down in Niagara on the lake. They actually shot the dead zone in Niagara on the lake, part of it anyway. And so it's going to be really cool to go down there and get some pictures and just, or do an overall kind of a touristy kind of thing. In any case, like I said, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, of course, you can contact me at, at visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. And again, I've mentioned I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca, where the show will appear in about two hours' time. And you can also find me on GoodPods, a downloadable app for your phone or other type devices. And I can also be found on Apple Music as well as other podcatchers. 
Well, I'm going to continue on with a bit more music from the television series Manifest with music by Danny Lux. And I will be, I'll pop in again to, again, talk some more, talk some more about Manifest and, and the like, and uh, I will continue on with some more music. So here is some more of Danny Lux's music from the series Manifest.
the following is not suitable for children. Yet for children living in the world's most dangerous places, this is reality. Help girls and boys in the world's most dangerous places.
Well, with the idea that Manifest may could continue, although it did, did have a satisfying ending, uh, it's very interesting to to see where the series ended up. And I'm not going to ruin it for those that are that have not seen the series, but in my opinion, it does end in a satisfactory manner. Huh. So yeah, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. You can also be found on Good Pods, a downloadable app for your phone or other type devices. And I can also be found on several other of the podcatchers, including the wonderful Apple Music as well. Yeah, as we are coming to the end of the month, I look back upon this year, and a, or this half year so far, and there have been some really interesting shows that I've been doing, and I'm looking forward to doing many, many more. Well, that's all for me this week. Thanks for hanging in, those that did. So as we continue into 2023, I hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different. If you're ever not feeling right, there are people out there that care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me sometimes to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the, uh, without the support of a huge team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of an emergency, please call 911 for immediate assistance. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868, 1-844-HERE-247 and here247.ca all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, join me next week as we conclude July, yes, conclude, with a look at unrealities, with a special look at the celebration of the 25th anniversary of a film called Dark City. I'll end off this week's show with some more music from Manifest, and I will be back next week with more Visions in Sound.